0: Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of The Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of The Financial Brand. Becoming adept at digital banking is not simply about technology. It's about the way banking leaders adapt to the pace of change and continually rethink how they can create and deliver value in a digital economy. More importantly, it's understanding that the digital banking transformation process is a never ending journey without an end point. My guest in the Banking Transform podcast is Liz Wolverton, head of consumer banking and brand experience at Synovus. Liz shares how building the muscles for continuous change at Synovus allows the bank to adapt to future changes more rapidly, which makes the bank more resilient. So welcome to the show, Liz. You know, when we first met during a webinar we did a a little while ago, I was intrigued by the advancements that Synovus Bank had been making in the digital banking arena. And more importantly, I was probably more impressed with your individual tenacity to break through the barriers that most banks in the 50 to 100 billion dollar range are having and find very daunting. You know, before we dig into what Synovus is doing, can you give a little bit about your history and your 20-year career at Synovus and how your various roles prepared you for where you are today?
1: Yeah, always makes me feel getting into the age bracket when you say 20 years. But um, So, you know, I was not, I I never intended to be a banker. Um, I happened upon banking kind of just by circumstance. And um, I tell people it's because of, of diabetes and open-toed shoes, which is interesting, but my dad actually um, was in bad health for a long time, and I wanted to move to Columbus to be near him and my family, and Synovus was a big company in um, Columbus. I didn't know much about Synovus at all, uh, and I thought I had a few interviews set up, and I thought I'll entertain it because everybody keeps saying it's this great place to work, but it was banking. So I went in and I met a couple of people. I had a different energy, you know, when I went in the office and I really liked it. And I thought, hmm, thats I didn't expect to, to feel that way. I sort of was a courtesy sort of visit. And, um, and I had a, a good couple of conversations. But then I started thinking that this is banking. Like, am I going to be constrained? And the first woman that walked out to meet me had um, a cute skirt and open-toed shoes. And I said, I think I could... I think I might be able to fit in here. It's not as buttoned up, you know, as I thought. <laughs> uh, so um, that really led me in the company and the vibe, quite frankly, I felt it when I, when I first interviewed. Um, I thought I really, I just really wanna work here. Um, and so I, I started at Synovus, um, I, I was a CPA. So I started as a FASB interpretus writing accounting policy. And that does not sound like a place that leads you to where, you know, I am today. But the very first job that I had, the very first job I had was to implement this thing called SOX, Sarbanes-Oxley. So it's new to banking, new to a company. And they said, hey, we want you to write the controls for the company. And I thought, well, they're either desperate or maybe a little crazy. But it really was a what I call baptism by fire. I mean, I had to get in. I had to know the company. I had to meet a lot of people. And I call that my first major opportunity. Some people would say it was a, it was not a fun opportunity, but it really was an opportunity to get in and know the company in a very different way than I ever would have before if I was just looking for the next FASB and putting that into accounting policy. And I met so many people, and it sparked my interest in, you know, the really the coolness of what banking is and can do in people's lives. and And that led me quickly to want to get engaged in other efforts outside of, what I was doing day to day in the bank. And I, I think my willingness to do that and my willingness to sort of put in sweat equity on different projects um, opened some doors to be involved in different things. So I went from this kind of microcosm of, of, of looking at accounting policy to really this broad perspective of looking at the bank. And I brought a different lens, right? I mean, I, I wasn't a banker. I questioned a lot of things, not in an accusatory way, sort of in a "huh, why do we do that?" you know, kind of way, and why don't we look at it this way? And and I was young, younger <laughs> at the time, and I wasn't, you know, real brazen, but um, I think it was a curiosity that was receptive to people, it, and and so um, that again opened doors for me in accounting. I I was a natural part of a capital raise process. And that capital raise process during 2008 to 2010, you know, those were some tenuous times for us. I got in the trenches and I was able to get in the trenches with some of our executive team at the time. I mean, we were, that was a tense time. And when you work in a tense time on some very important things for the company, um, you endear yourselves to each other. So again, I think that was an opportunity for me. I wasn't at the highest level there, but I was, I was in it, and I was 24 seven know, working with a team. And I think at that point in time, we did have, we had a couple of situations where things could have gone not so good. And I think my feistiness you know, came out. And I think people looked at me and said, maybe, well, she's not just curious, maybe she's got a little fight in her. And again, that opened some opportunities um, for me. And finally, I would say, one of the most interesting opportunities I had most recently to expand the way I look at the bank is to lead some of the inclusion and diversity efforts a few years ago. We didn't have a formal structure around that. We have always been a company with a great culture, very embracing a culture of care. But that's not just what inclusion and diversity is. You know, that's, it's, it's much more than that. It's stretching the thinking beyond that. And so when I was asked to lead the effort, I thought sort of like socks, I don't really have any experience here, but I'll look at it strategically. You know, why, why is it important? And I really studied that and studied how you can think about progressing that journey, which is both individual and the company. You have to work on both those things at the same time. And it taught me a lot about how I needed to be looking at our customers in a way I never have before. So, I mean, it's just this potpourri of of all these different things, Jim, that that have affected the way that I think about the business. It really affected my ability to have a voice in the business, you know, sweat equity, you know, coming at it with a spirit of, you know, um, that not in it for me, in it for, you know, the progress of the company and the, the, the customers has, has, has allowed me to be my voice to be, you know, heard. Um, but we have a great company, um, that has embraced that too. So big, big, delivery.
0: you know, it's interesting Liz cause I've gotten to know you over the last four to six weeks, quite a bit. And, and, Seen you look at different things in in with a new lens, and one thing that's really impressive is it is very obvious that you you you're not a person to settle, but you're not a person necessarily to blow through walls. You you build consensus around your thought pattern, and you just brought up a lot of the examples and and why that happened in your your career through Synovus. and it, and it's interesting. You know, while you've been a change agent and while you've really tried to disrupt status quo in a legacy banking organization, and we can get into the whole gender situation as, as being a woman doing this is even more interesting in the dynamics, but what are some of the challenges that you've faced over the years? Not, not in a way that's negative, but what are some of the roadblocks you've seen and things that you've had to really deal with in this journey?
1: know that, and you, you would agree, you and I have talked about this, I don't know that they're unique to me or unique to gender in all reasons. They're, they're, banking, um, in general, is an area that is averse to risk. It's an area that has had a very, very kind of homogenous model over a long period of time. And like many industries, it's populated at the highest ends with people that have been in the industry a long time, where those things always were fruitful. And so when you have somebody, not just me, and by the way, I feel like I'm talking about me, I have a number of peers at the company that share kind of similar philosophies. But when you introduce organisms into that, um, into that business that say, hey, I know that's always worked, but why don't we look at it this way? I think there's just always a challenge. So I, I would say the challenge that we that we've had as an industry, and so it's not unique to us, is is just the fact that things that were the old way always worked. And it wasn't until the crisis, I think that things really got shook up. Listen, I look at the fact that, you know, I giggle about the whole work from home and the remote and how introducing that concept was I mean, it would have been a non-starter and then COVID hits and it's an
0: obvious
1: thing to do. do. And so I look at things like the crisis that was a disruptor to the legacy thinking. I look at the fintechs and how they've come in and I've never, I don't think we've ever taken on this like fear that they were going to drive us out of business, but you know, every, uh, an appreciation that they were gonna shake up the way we needed to do things. So I think the biggest challenge I've had is success in the the success in the past, which is silly, and, and what caused it, and really this aversion to pace. So the aversion to pace in general, and I am not a patient person. <laughs> so I've probably been very frustrated a number of times, um, again, not necessarily my current circumstances. There's there's the industry in general. I've been frustrated with the industry.
0: You know, it's interesting. You've been you've been tasked with both strategy and customer experience for the past nine years at Synovus. How have you tried to differentiate your bank brand and the digital banking component of what Synovus offers in the marketplace?
1: That is a tough question because I, I would have to admittedly say that from a digital banking perspective, we are just scratching the surface at the opportunity to really differentiate. I mean, we have looked at it as our chief um, digital officer, Zach Hamilton has a great sort of spectrum that he's level set. It's, you know, you got to equalize, then you got to monetize and then humanize and innovate. And we have as a regional bank, um, been on the lower end of that scale and I feel really good about where we are today. Like that's, there's no apologies. we have. We have a very good digital experience Um, but when it comes to how we look at that differently and blend that into the model to really differentiate, that's where we're scratching the surface right now and I'm really excited about it. Um, I think though we have done some things really well in that we made a decision a handful of years ago that we, we had to move away from the old infrastructure sort of the dependency on the large vendor to control our digital experience. And that was hard. It was hard because um, that was a risk. When you step out of that structure, you get enablement, but you take on responsibility. I now have to do these things we've never done as a bank before. I have to take charge of how I really want to imagine that experience. I have to actually hire and be able to care for different components of that, that were fully vended before. That costs money, you have to convince people that the money is worth the reward. And by the way, most of what I do doesn't have a perfectly um, timed impact to the investment. It's going. This is a business model change that is about current profitability, but it's really about long-term sustainability. And you've gotta get people to buy into that. And I think what we've done differently not necessarily completely in the market as of yet, but to prepare ourselves is that we believe that. And we've got the buy in there to take the right steps, to do things like, yes, let's move off into this not fully vended environment with these vendors that aren't really perfect yet. Like that, you know, they don't really check all your boxes. Um, and then, you know, take some, take some bets, do things like, um, yes, Liz, we're going to go out and build analytics. We don't know a lot about it and how to build that infrastructure today, but we believe in it and let's figure it out. That sort of um, let's do this without all the answers mentality is not always welcome um, within a banking environment. And so when you say how do we differentiate, I think driving that um, mindset and being willing to take um, very uh, manageable risks, Is something that we've done
0: differently. You know, it's interesting because you talk about the fact that, you know, moving a company and trying to make sure you're doing things at speed and scale in many cases means moving away from your your primary uh, platform provider. And that's difficult sometimes to sell that internally where you're actually in many cases selling something internally that's taking it away from your core provider while your core provider keeps on saying they can do it that that takes a, a a leap of faith and it takes somebody to really manage and spearhead that in, engagement because you know the core providers can honestly do almost anything that any of these what I'll call secondary core uh legacy uh solution providers can do, but just not as well, not at scale, not at speed and probably not giving you the attention that you deserve to to get to where you want to go so, you know, I know that part of your digital journey has been to close branches, and and this is a process that almost every financial institution is going through right now, but but the process of doing it, the process of balancing what the government's going to allow you to do and what the consumer wants you to do and what the organization has to do really ends up being a, a not a very stable three-legged stool. So you're in the middle of that process as Synovus. How do you tackle this process with customers and how do you tackle this process with your employees?
1: Um, it's again it's not easy, right so um, when I uh, think you and I have talked about it two, maybe the first week I was in the job um, they announced you know my my, my move to, to head consumer banking and at the Goldman Sachs conference Kevin Blair our CEO announced that we were going to close 15% of our branches and then I think there was an article that ran in the American Banker that that said, you know, that kind of combined those two things. And so um, I, had to, I had to own that, you know, on day one, which I do. But um, I, I think that what my job for the team, so I had a mid-year all-team update yesterday. Um, and in that update, I talked about what we've done the first half of the year and the second half of the year. And the second half of the year, we're going to have to do some major branch, you know, contraction. My job to those teams is to sell their value and the business model going forward. And it's not to, to sort of blindfold and say, hey, forget about this that's going on. Here's the, but it's, it's create the North Star so that they go, wow, we're really excited about that. And by the way, the thing that makes it easier for me is every person that sits in one of those branches that's gonna be contracted has an opportunity within Cenopus. In today's environment, so one would say, hey, Liz, you're being asked to contract more than you all have in the past, but I have more opportunity than we've ever had. With the remote environment, I can distribute this workforce that is uber valuable. They are awesome customer service folks. By the way, bragging point, JD Power, look at our scores. Top top of the class. You know who that is? It's an individual sitting within my branch network. I do not want to lose those individuals. they, they can go in our call center, they can go into operations. They I have, I, I sat in a strategic planning session with our other lines of business yesterday, and to a person they all said, I want your list of people because I need them in my organization. And so that's exciting, like when could you ever tell a teller before, you actually have opportunity in about six different areas in service if you want to take take them up on it. So. I, I genuinely am excited about that for them, for us as a company. What does it do when you take somebody that's been in the front line of retail and put them in another area? Like it actually expands and unifies, you know, the company in a different way as well. So I I talk to them just like I'm talking to you right now. And I must have gotten 10 emails after that call about, wow, I am so, not one person said anything about I can't believe we're doing X, Y, Z. It was I am so excited about where the consumer bank is going because it, it really is opportunistic. Now, for our customers, um, it's different. Um, but we actually, the customers worry, quite frankly, as much about the team members as they do about themselves.
0: Yep. When yep. we
1: close branches, our complaint line is filled with what's going to happen to so-and-so that is my day-in, day-out person. A, obviously I can reassure them about that, um, but with our customers, we have to, A, transition transition them as best as possible. The physical location transition, but the big thing we're concentrated on now is, why is 50% of our account holders, why are 50% of our account holders not adopting digital? And how do we, how do we show them the benefits you, you've asked me before, how do you get your branch team to buy into being digital ambassadors? If it's replacing them, I used an analogy yesterday on the call, and I said this. I said, so if you have your customer that's valuable to you, that you know isn't just flush with cash, and every now and then you know has an NSF, has, a, has an insufficient funds, if they have that today, what? How can I? And they're not in touch with, to digital. How can I contact them? It's going to go to operations. Operations is going to print a statement. in today's USPS. God love them. It's going to take a week for it to get there. They could overdraw three more times. If they had the digital application, as soon as that happens, I could alert them. And a, which prevents other issues, um, but two shows them in a different way, proactively, how how important it is for me that you know they're taking care of their you know financial health. And, and that resonates with our team members because they can, when they see it as something that I'm pushing on the customers and, and pushing on customers that want to adopt, it's almost like reject it. They want what their customer wants. When I help to explain how it's beneficial to them, they, they embrace it. They really do. So those are some of the ways, Jim, that I'm just trying to, to shift the mindset. It always starts with a mindset. Always starts with a mindset.
0: You know, it's interesting. You you've you've actually and I've not had this happen in previous interviews around this subject, closing branches make employees feel comfortable. And it just hit me that a big element that you just discussed is that your employees, your tailor staff, your branch staff, your employees in other departments trust you and trust the bank. That doesn't always happen. I mean, almost every bank is going to say, yes, we're going to, be, we're going to be closing this. We're going to be closing these areas. We're going to be doing this. And oh, by the way, there'll be very minimal change in staff. And, and the staff immediately goes, BS, it's, that's that's bullshit. And basically, you know, I don't trust my bank to have my best interests in mind. Just from your story about your meeting with your team, it's very clear they trust you and they trust the organization to truly have the opportunities that you're speaking of, that they won't lose their jobs and and they shouldn't lose their jobs. And it's a matter of us training them to be capable. But that quickly transcends to the customer relationship where they will willingly say, you know what? This is a great deal. It's going to be better for you, even though you're going to lose your local team. I'm still going to have my job. I'm still going to be able to help you in some way, shape or form. And the bank's got your best interest in mind. This is just a better way of doing banking it really gets down to trust. And, it, and it's interesting because we don't talk about that much about trust within an organization that the organization has my best interests in mind, but that makes a huge difference. And, it, and as I mentioned, that obviously transcends to the customer directly because they're going to go, I'm going to be okay because my my direct contact is going to be okay. And exactly. we forget about the fact that the people that actually visit branches, I think about my dad who's who's passed quite a while ago, but he would still be using branches because of the teller, because he he knew that person, the man or the woman, and he knew the manager, and to be able to convince him that, by the way, you may have not have the social interactive action that you you want, but everything else can be good. It, it's a pretty good feeling, you know. So you know, we talk. You talked about the digital products and about the digital applications. You know, I've written quite a bit lately about the difference between allowing customers to access their account on digital channels and actually creating a better digital experience. I call it faking digital where we, we say, yes, you can open an account on a mobile device or on your computer. Oh, but by the way, it's going to take 15 minutes while I give them digital capabilities. I really haven't given them a way to do things digitally and it's made it very cumbersome. How is Novos addressing this challenge and what is going to set Sunovis apart from other legacy and digital banks with regard to how you do things digitally in a digital manner?
1: Yeah, I, I have a. You and I are very aligned that um, it's not about taking a task and then making it technical. You know that making a PDF, that, <laughs> making a PDF. <laughs> it's not about saying okay. Um, let me look at the playbook for somebody ha- for somebody that comes into the branch and does something, and let me just mimic that. It's about really understand it's so basic. it's it's about understanding what the customer is trying to accomplish, which may be not at all what they're doing in the branch. It may be something completely different that you need to take care of, right? So I mean, we had to we've had to, situate things a certain way in a branch because it's a physical environment, because there's teller lines, because of all sorts of things. You can reimagine that, you know, potentially in the digital experience. You know, we, we may have said it has to go from this drawer to this drawer to this drawer, so you have to go from this line to this line to this line. So instead of creating three boxes online, what's the destination and what am I trying to do? And It's so funny early on. I think people were trying to just create the three boxes and make sure that you could go to, you know, from box to box to box. So I, I do believe that we have a good, we have two things that um, are important. One is customer centricity. It is, it is about the customer and about what the customer is trying to do and what they need. And it's not necessarily about the task. We look beyond that. And, and when we're thinking about digital, um, you know, so So that in itself is important, you know, like I just talked about. and two is we have a business model view. I don't need to digitize everything what am I trying to achieve from a business model perspective? And what are those things that are most imperative? You and I you and I have talked about, I hate the term digital transformation. You know, it's about, you know, digital is really just completely integrated into your, your business model. So I think instead of looking at just features in a, in a Harvey ball chart of what you have versus others, look at what you're trying to deliver, how you're trying to deliver and what they need and let your digital journey and evolution Kind of revolve around that. That all sounded very consultancy. So I don't, I'm not sure if that resonated, Jim. But that's it's it's not about the the thing. It's bigger than the thing.
0: <laughs> so, so let's take a break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. so welcome back to banking transformed so i'm joined today by liz wolverton head of consumer banking and brand experience at synovus we've been discussing how a 60 billion dollar bank can effectively compete with banking goliath and with the new fintech um, stalwarts so liz we've been discussing your personal journey and the introduction to digital banking within synovus how do you measure success around customer experience engagement and satisfaction across different channels?
1: Um, so we have some of the, the legacy tools that we use today from a service standpoint. Um, J.D. Power obviously is a very important um, mechanism for us to test the temperature, but it only happens once a year. So we use internal surveys um, to to measure um, uh, customer sentiment. But beyond that, those are good. I don't want to discount those because they're important and they tell us a lot of good information. But you know, we, we obviously look at the data. We look at who's using what. Um, we look at um, the depth of engagement that individuals have with digital. And we're just now, Jim, really getting our um, act together. And I say that because it's hard in banks to, to get data and to, to to synthesize the data. But we're beginning to look better behaviorally based on um, profiles and personas of individuals that tell us things that just the kind of, what I call the superficial kind of tick marks don't tell you. Um, And we are early in that, but what I can tell you is just getting sort of this, you know, this appetizer for it, uh, maybe since I'm back from Paris, the amuse-bouche, getting that amuse-bouche, tells me how important it is to understand and much more behaviorally and contextually, not just it's, oh, it's 20% that are not engaging, but who are those 20%? And why, why do we think based on profiles or, or different, um, different uh, personas that we can make out of them, why are they not engaging? So um, success for us is obviously that we continue to maintain, maintain strong customer sentiment and customer trust. So we measure those things um, very um, specifically. But beyond that, we have very specific targets. We don't target everything. Um, We right now are, uh, from a success standpoint, we're targeting um, levels of engagement with certain features. Certain features, by the way, that reduce specifically dependency on the branch structure where we may be contracting those. Um, then we're looking at engagement with certain areas that we think are very important to target segments so without without going down a um, you know a playbook it's it's some very obvious things that you do that are important fundamentally to our business how people trust us and how they perceive our service but then we look very specifically at data behind targeted areas that are important to our business and and business
0: model. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned this and and yesterday we had an interview on w- regarding, you know, fund transfers and things like this nature. And, and, you know, with digital banking, we have so many different ways to measure satisfaction beyond asking people if they're happy. Because, you know, if somebody's unhappy, they've already left. So you get a kind of like a positive bias that happens when you're asking customers, are you okay with this? Well, well yeah, I'm, I'm there. But when you start to look at transfer of funds, when you look at what happens on a monthly basis? Where do people take their funds out of Stinolis or any bank and move it to someplace else? You sometimes get a different feel for. Oh, geez, you know what? We have a lot of customers that are moving their 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 balances on a monthly basis to Acorns, which means in some way, shape, or form, we're not meeting the obligation on a savings rate or an investment services perspective with some of my customers. Or maybe they're moving balances to a a crypto company and and or maybe, maybe we have a whole block of customers that use Ally as a as a loan platform. Well geez, what does that tell us? So you know what what does that tell us beyond satisfaction, which means how are they doing their banking? You know, it it's in, because before digital, you never had that, really didn't have that capability unless you're scanning checks. Well now it's a whole lot easier and it's a whole lot more instant in the whole dynamic of that. You know, when we're talking about this, we're really talking about data and analytics. And, you know, we look at, we talk about the personalization of communication. We're talking about engagement. And I know that we've talked about this before, that this is an area of, of I wouldn't say great concern, but great focus as to this, is, how do we improve? How do we up our game on the, the whole concept of data and analytics? How are you up in your game? And, and where do you think you are in the, in the journey? And before I ask you that, let it be known that we've asked the same question of of which is like Chase, Wells Fargo, and Bank of America, and all of them say, we really feel like we're at the beginning of the process. So everybody thinks they're behind the curve, but but how are you doing at Synovus?
1: Well, I think everybody feels like they're behind the curve because at some point within the past five years, we've woken up and said, we're sitting on you know, a gold mine, and we don't know how to use it. Um, and that's just, that's just hard. But so I, I think, I think we, we probably started a journey like most people, you know, trying to build this big plane of data and, and then figuring out how to deploy it. And somewhere within the past 24 months, we just pivoted and we said, you know what, let's just find a couple of use cases and build from there. So we've looked at a couple of places that we said, we think the combination of certain insights, we didn't say data, but certain insights is would really be a difference maker for us. So how can I understand potentially when on the commercial side, um, the transaction activity, not my faith, we feel like we have great relationships with people, but as you and I know, whether it's a survey or whether it's, you know, an exchange in you know, a ball game or grocery store, they don't tell you everything. So the data will tell you when somebody might be at risk for attrition because you start to see trickle effect of funds going out. You start to see certain deposits going away. So we are using analytics to register behaviors and actually provide alerts to our commercial clients that, hey, we know you're connected, you might want to speed up that next conversation. You know, it's really kind of a risk of a risk of attrition. We also look at specific opportunities, and you know what, we've tried and failed a little bit there. Um, meaning, if you're not finding, it's hard to do that and operationalize it over an entire co- uh, commercial uh, uh, banker base. Why? Because sometimes there's unique opportunities. And if you flood their inbox with things that aren't super relevant for that customer, then the tool becomes less credible. So we've had... They, the they try-
0: ignore the, they ignore they the whole ignore tool it. because of one instance. Yeah, yep. it's,
1: it's like my husband says on the car, when I don't listen to any of the beep, 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 beep You know, it's like, well, <laughs> you know, I don't, it's It's generally, I'm generally not that close. So, but but it's been interesting to see that again, it hasn't been about the technology or the numbers, we're kind of getting those right. So you build a model and it does tell you there's opportunity here, but you haven't synthesized that to, how do you actually take that to market? That's what takes more time. And then tweaking the oper- op- how you operationalize that is harder. I would tell you in a company of our size, where I, I, I work in the analytics area reports to me, where I can actually reach out to my head of commercial and have that real conversation and, and, and really dig down into what's going wrong is different than I think a larger organization where, you know, there's just more people and more barriers. So there's a lot to work through with analytics beyond the technology and beyond just the numbers. And I think that's where that's where everybody's stuck sort of, you know, on first base. Um, I, I'm really excited because... I should be excited. I should be scared. On the consumer side of the house, I own analytics, I own marketing, I own consumer. If we can't get it right, it is one hundred percent, you know, my fault. But it's it really is difficult. We're trying to operationalize customer outreach um, based on again certain behaviors. That takes the analytics engine. By the way, one of the reasons, one of the ways that we're doing it is we're not averse to third parties. We're using some third parties to help jumpstart at the same time I'm building an analytics team. I can't go out and and hire 50 people, you know, in a day. Um, I can't find them, first of all. I can't afford them. Second, and then third, it would be a hot mess to try to onboard all those people. So, and that's not, you know, know, the the teams don't always love that. You hire, you know, analytics teams and and they want to do the work. So I'm also having to, you know, marry third parties and our analytics team. So, that those teams come up with the insights, and the marketing team has to deploy it, and then the consumer team has to say, you know, this is working, or it's not. So it's not just about the data that makes this hard. It is an ecosystem that has to be developed.
0: You know, it's interesting, it's a, and it's at a time when the consumer's expectations, based on everything else going on around us, is increasing just so significantly, you know, anybody who's used Hulu or Netflix or, or buys things through Amazon or, or uses uh, a Google maps when they do uh, their uh, driving, you know, it's amazing how the expectations of the consumer as to what you can do has raised to the point of saying, well, why can't you tell me that I'm making a wrong decision with my finances? Why can't you help me along my journey? And, you know, we're, we're playing a game of catch-up, as you said, and every financial institution is but those that at least illustrate to the consumer that they're working on their behalf, even in the littlest degree, will raise above the rest because most consumers go, eh, it's bank's a utility and we got to get out of that mode. So you mentioned a little bit about third-party providers. You know, the, the importance of providing ongoing innovation and agility to address the speed of changes is often overlooked and, and taken for granted maybe. How do you keep up with market changes that really impact the customer and their expectations. And how do you work with third-party solution providers to maybe take some of these elements that you have to fix and fix them faster?
1: When you say how you keep up, it's really interesting. I mentioned that our executive team just had a full day kind of offsite, um, very early kind of strategic session. And one of the uh, our CEO has some core tenants that he says this team has to adopt. And one of those core tenets is an outside-in point of view. Um, for so many banks and so many companies, you look at best-in-class within your company and what's performing well. So that outside-in point of view says, hey, you may look good compared to yourself, but you look kind of crappy compared to you know, the, this, this peer group. Or, by the way, your strategies may look solid, but when we look from the outside in, goodness gracious, um, people are exploring things that, you know, we haven't even considered. So I think one of the ways that, you know, we we keep up is that outside-end point of view. The second thing is it is embracing sort of that innovative mindset, which means at a company, it's not just one person. We literally teach a class right now to our leaders on innovation. I, get, I have the pleasure of they won't let me teach it, um, but I have the pleasure of introducing it, you know, when, when it's taught. And the, the nugget that I always say is, you are going to walk away today with the ability to innovate. And and we need you to. Like there is, every day, you see, you think, it's sorry, there's three steps of innovation. You see, think, and do. Every day you see and think. But the difference between non-innovators and innovators is the fact that some people take that third step and do. So I think those mindsets are important for us. And financially and with the technology, it's hard to keep up. I mean, we make hard decisions every day because, you know, Zach Bishop is our head of technology. He's a great partner of ours. He came to the company, my Mine he came to the company a few years ago, breath of fresh air. Modernization is his kind of heart and soul. Um, And by the way, since he's been here, Synovus so has won three technology awards. Which, if you would have told anybody that, like five years ago, he's won the Gonzo Banker Award for you know sort of most innovative modernized approach. Um, we just won top ten technology companies in Georgia. In Georgia, do you know the technology companies you know in Georgia? Yeah, exactly. But you get there from A that mindset, and B to keep up, you have to be willing. I, I'll just I feel like a broken record to to think differently. You you have to be willing to partner, you have to be willing to look at where the puts and takes are in the financial model that will get you to the next step and the risk model that will get you to the next step. And it may be to veer out and do an add-on. Like we always said, oh, everything has to be through one provider and streamline and that's the best path. Well, that's, it's not always the best path. So, so uh, I don't know. It's hard, Jeff. It really is
0: hard. Well, you know, it, it, it seems to me like we talk about it and my team knows that it probably comes up in every single podcast. It gets back down to leadership. If your leadership of an organization does not embrace change as opposed to avoid change, if they rest on their laurels because they're making money as opposed to saying, we've got to march to the beat of a different drummer. If you don't have that disruptor or innovation mindset if you don't really take that throughout the whole organization. And honestly, the reason why you're on the podcast is I was stunned by what was going on at Snowis and how much of it was because of the leadership that you provide and obviously the leadership that's above you to allow you to provide it and what your employees embrace. It's fun. The challenge is most financial institutions still do not have that mindset. They really hope that this boogeyman of fintech and boogeyman of inflation and everything else go away. And the reality is you may still make money through all those different changes, but you won't be a viable financial institution in your customer's eyes or your employee's eyes. It makes it hard to hire and everything else. So as we're wrapping this up today, what are your aspirations for Sunovis over the next one to three years? And I hate to go any further than that because we've been, we've proven to ourselves because of the pandemic that never, never take it too far in the future because you don't know what's going to happen. But what are the aspirations that you have?
1: Oh, they're big. <laughs> they're big. And and if I can just speak to, I'll answer your question, I promise, but just speak to what you just said about leadership. Um, you know, why I get excited is this company's 135 years old and it is a strong ship. I mean, it is, it is well done in every way. And I look at a lot of the challenges instead of getting scared by them. And I also look at what we've done. I have seen this company over 20 years. When a hard task was put before it, the culture of the company is, um, we're gonna get through to the other side. I love it. You remember when you went on a bear hunt as a kid, you can't go over it, can't go uh, under it, Can't gotta go through it, gotta go through it. Like, so we, that's what we do. And so that spirit and the foundation and what I think is just the smarts and the mentality of this executive team tell me, I don't know how the heck we're going to get there, but I have confidence. And I think our team has confidence. That's that's a big, you know, that's a big difference maker. What I want is I want to make sure that we give Zach Bishop the money to modernize the stack. And it's hard. Like every day we're having to cut a little bit of that to keep, you know, to keep things moving. But we, we've we got to make, we're going to make some, you know, big got to make some big strides in modernization because that is just going to be freedom for us as far as you know how we can then move with speed. So he's got a good roadmap, modernization, in three years I hope to be much more progressed from an infrastructure standpoint. Um, I want to change the word transformation. I, I, I am committed to a metamorphosis within our retail delivery. And I say that because that's beautiful, right? I mean, you think about transformation, it could be a hot mess. Metamorphosis to me is like beautiful. And I wanna see these teams and this company that has served our clients so well, just gracefully gracefully metamorphosize into um, something different happening in the market in the choreography between digital and human and that be embraced because of the benefits to the customer. So, you know, I wanna see that. And then I wanna see, continue to see our management team and our leadership teams improve as we have been doing the effectiveness of, you know, how we work together, because the trickle down effect, you know, to the organization is, is just massive. So, um, you know, beyond that, as, a, as, a, as a, we're a $60 billion bank today, um, I think that number is going to get, you know, exceedingly bigger in the future, and a lot of that's going to be on the organic growth, you know, not on, um, you know, the legacy type of traditional type of acquisition. I think we'll acquire, I think we'll acquire smaller, and in, in the ways that'll be strategic to get better in the ways that you and I have talked about. Um, but this ambition, um, this company is going to continue to be strong, and I'm excited about it.
0: You know, it's interesting in the introduction, I mentioned that, that at Synovus, you're building the muscles for continuous change. And that is a major, major hurdle, but it's got to be done over time. It's not something you can just turn a switch on. And and that's what's really interested me about your organization is that, you know, this has not been a short term process. The way the organization is built. And you're always fighting against the legacy successes because as you mentioned, Snow is a very strong organization with a legacy culture, been around for a long time and done very well. It would be so easy just to do banking as normal. And yet you're disrupting things from inside and in a way that everybody's on the same page and saying, you know, the trust of the employees to buy into that. So that's pretty important. You know, finally, last thing I promise you that, what recommendations do you provide an organization today who feels who's going along their transformation journey but is looking for you know what's going to make a difference today how can i how can i do things differently what have you found to be if you if you gave a bank a a suggestion what what would it be
1: well if you're not having the discussions in a line from the top down on what the true destination is um you're already starting behind so we have a lot of those discussions and by the way, it's, it's creating belief. Notes has actually always been an innovative bank. We spun the largest global payment processing company out of our basement in Columbus, Georgia. And it's actually reminding people, hey, we've done this. We actually have been innovators in the past. So it's creating the belief and creating the urgency um, at, at the executive alignment session. That's where you gotta start. If you don't start there, you may not fail, but it's gonna be you know a lot harder. Um, and then start with a customer. Like, don't forget about the customer. Do not start with the technology. Start with a customer. What does the customer need? What are you trying to execute in your business model? Don't go out and find a problem for a technology solution because it worked over there. Like, start with alignment, start with a customer, and then move and appreciate pace in the technology. That's, that's sort of yeah. the top of the house. If you don't want a 30-minute answer, that's my... 120 second and you
0: know what i'm gonna take it a step further can you say you know don't it's not the technology it's the customer i'm going to take it a bit further from what you've said today it's not the technology it's the people yeah
1: it's the people
0: because 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 it has to do with the people at synovus your employees if you don't get the the internal people on your on your bandwagon guess what your methods that you're trying to get out there are, it's not going to get out there the way you want it to be because your direct contact people be it in customer care, be it in the product area, be it in the, the branch, whatever it may be. If you don't get the people to buy in, the technology is going to mean nothing. You're, you're going to be spending a whole lot of money to make a bad bank faster. And, yeah. and, you know, and that's, that's, that's meat and potatoes type of stuff. So Liz, yeah. right. thank you so much for making time for us. And, and as I, as I've said to you many times, you're a breath of fresh air in an in a industry that doesn't always have as many as I'd like to see. And, and when you stumble upon, and that's actually how our, our relationship started was kind of stumbling upon it by accident almost, and you say, geez, they get it. You feel it and we've had this a couple times and and you know i i will bet you that out of this conversation you're going to get some people wanting to get jobs because it's an environment that i think people want to work in if they want to be in banking so thank Good. you again and and appreciate your time <laughs> thank you thanks for listening to banking transform the winner of three international awards for podcast sessions if you enjoyed today's interview, please take some time to give our show a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing on the digital bank report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, it's not about the technology. It's about the people, both your customers and your employees, when you're looking at digital transformation success.